Tech Matters, the podcast that decodes technology for everyone. All right, g'day, Greg. How are you? I'm great, Craig. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Uh, so we just polished off a decade of tech, and now we've coming to the end of life of an operating system. Sad moment. You're talking about Windows 7? Of course I'm talking about Windows 7. 14th of January, mate. Couple of days, Microsoft are pulling support for one of their premier products that has, you know, helped power home computers and business computers for a decade. Did you enjoy it? I like Windows 7. Did you like Windows 7? Um, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, compared to Vista, yeah. So, so XP, most people, it had a life of about 12 years before end of life. Sure. What, what, um, what do you think, do you think we would have had seven if it wasn't for Vista though? Do you think Vista is that stepping stone? And do you think eight was a stepping stone to what we have now? Um, eight was a car crash. <laughs> exactly. Um, was Vista a car crash? I, I put, um, no, actually, Vista was unnecessarily heavy on, on, um, on video chips just because they wanted to try and make it look cool and have all those glass effects. Yeah. I, I didn't mind it when it was out. It, it really, it really kind of became obvious after it died that it was using far more resources than it needed to just to try and look pretty. Yeah. Um, Windows eight point one. I actually I didn't mind that. Um, eight was eight was a mess. So the way I see it, XP. So so I started my previous computer repair business uh, 11 years ago. So XP was the main operating system that everyone was using. Yep. And then I was battling with Vista. Every time I was on a Vista machine, with exception of the, the um, I think it was the professional or home premium version, not the, the home, um, those, those versions were like a tug of war. So professional was pretty good, but the home versions were... You felt like with the resources, you're always in a tug of war. Yeah. So I hated working on the operating system, particularly on restarts and shutdowns. Uh, but I saw it as the stepping stone to seven. Yeah, sure. So I thought all the mistakes that, that they had to learn from Vista. Now, you often know there's a problem with an operating system when they're offering the sale of computers and offering to roll you back to the previous operating system version to sell them. So we saw with Vista that was extremely huge and we also saw that was huge with 8. So the biggest gripe most people had with 8 was that it um, didn't take them to their desktop. Yeah, so of course. Of course, 8.1, what did it do? It returned them to their desktop. So I think lesson learned there too. And of course, we've got Windows 10 now. And I often wonder whether the mistakes like guinea pigs, Vista people were used as guinea pigs and 8 were used as guinea pigs so that we arrive at what we have today. But on a sad well, note, Windows 7's end of life. But what does end of life actually mean? Well, it basically means that Microsoft are going to stop um, giving phone support and end user support for it. Um, it also means that it isn't going to get any more security updates. Um, and for some people, depending on how they use their machines, um, if, they're, if they're in situations where they're connected to equipment, say in a factory, and they're not really on the internet, it's probably not that big an issue. Um, 
part for the majority of us who who connect our machines to the internet. Um, it, it can be, you know, it's it doesn't it doesn't mean that if you if you keep it running, you're absolutely going to get hacked. But it's just something to be mindful of if you're all about being secure. Um, certainly, um, if you're keeping keeping things on your computer that you know that are, are critical. It's it's probably not a chance you don't want to take, but I guess the issue really comes not so much in the operating system, but the software you're using on it. Um, say in instances where that software developer isn't isn't making that program anymore, and you need to update your operating system and might not work properly on on Windows 10. So that's really the sorts of things that that people who have stayed on Windows 7 up until now really need to be mindful if they're doing their forced update. Yeah, so for those who are on Windows 7, just be aware, not the end of the world, you will be able to use your computer beyond January 14th. Hey mate, I saw on social media that you um, took some of your your um, basketball students to see the bullets. Yeah mate, it was a nice little experience for those kids and uh, got a lot out of it. The Bullets are a very good organisation for, for you know, their family oriented and I think that they like to motivate and inspire the next generation of ballers. But interestingly, the parents came with us and they had a lot of questions around uh, why they were at training. There were all these laptops and things on the side of the, on the sideline while people were actually training. You've got people operating computers and they asked some questions, so the Bullets were kind enough to give us a little bit of a rundown on some of the tech involved in their training, and it's um, at professional level, so that was pretty good. Okay, so so can you actually tell me what they were doing with all the computers? Yeah, sure. So the players wear a vest that's called, the brand's called Catapult, and, it, and the players actually hate to wear it because it has a sensor that sits just near their sternum, and uh, they, they wear it in-game and and when training and there's sensors in the facility um, I was told around the roofs and rafters that actually monitor their their vitals more or less oh, really yeah but the, there's reasonings behind it. it it's to do with workload loading um, an example is is they, they read the numbers over a period of time like any data or analytics okay and what they're looking for is changes in the numbers so there's a, a few things that that keeping that data on you know how they're breathing their heart rate their work rate sweat all these different data that they can analyze they can i like for example one of the players had a virus and they noticed that the players numbers had dropped in according to their normal standard of work their work rate and what they found is that individual actually had a virus and he wasn't even aware of it okay so they can pick up things like that but on the flip side these guys are contracted and earning earning money and that also identifies if let's say you know greg's a good basketball player but he happened to party hard on friday night and he's at training and they notice that normally his training levels at a certain level but today he's a little bit lower yeah sure and they notice in some drills his rate's pretty low but in others it's really high then they can more or less determine that he was probably choosing to slacken off on certain certain drills. So okay. they can also measure whether it relates to injury and they also monitor load. So what that 
basically means is uh, how much work a person has done over over a period of time, and they're always what they call is load manage. So what that means is if again player Greg has worked extremely hard at training the the first two or three days of training to ensure that they're getting good recovery, they might drop them from what they're allowed to do at training and actually have them work on a bike or do something different um, to, to try and maintain a good level of loading. Cool. Yeah, and the other thing that they had was video. So what they were doing is tagging what was happening at training, but they do these this in games as well. So every play and every action on the court is actually using a computer they push buttons and if it's a three-point shot it's a three-point shot if it's a you know someone's fouled or whatever the action is on the court yeah. they record the players involved and their numbers so that the staff the coaching staff can go back later and and if they're looking for you know a particular action they can just go to the software and and review just that action without watching the whole video but also they use that in game. They, if, if people watch the National Basketball League here in Australia, they may see some of the teams actually have iPads on their bench. And what that is, is the guys behind them who are tagging the videos can actually send video through to them in real time of the action that's just occurred for the assistant coaches to have a look and analysis to see how they might be able to counter that action or what actually occurred in game. Have you looked into this tech in terms of uh, affordability? Like, is it really something that only professional teams can afford to do? I don't know what the cost of the catapult system is, but I imagine if people actually went and searched it, it's not just used by basketball, it's used in other sports. But Sports Code was the name of the software that they use, and for a license that they paid for, it was around $30,000. And I believe it's only supported on the Mac platform. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's, they're also using other softwares like Huddle, which is a video review software, and they have the iPad software as well. And uh, I know I used a tagging software myself in the past called Longo Match, which was an open source product, which did very similar to Sports Code. Uh, but now they have gone as a paid version, and while I've kept my open source version, I have no support. Okay. What's all that about? Hey, have you been reading any of the news around CES over in Las Vegas? No, mate, because I knew you would be. <laughs> uh, I knew that you, I was waiting for you to tell me about some of what you discovered. What, what's some of your discoveries this week at CES? You don't actually see lots of real high-profile tech being released there now. Like, um, I suppose like with mo- mobile phones... And, and other devices and you know Google and Apple and all those, they tend to have their own high-profile launches for those devices. So you get lots of smaller things and you get companies refreshing products like like you get to see you know the, the latest you know large screen TVs and you know how, how much smaller they've you know they've made the quantum dots and how, how thinner they are and how big they are now and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You can see I'm excited. No, I actually don't mind CES. I, I, some of the things that I know that you sent through to me earlier and said, hey, let's talk about a couple of these, I had seen. So they have done a good job of actually promoting the, the show. And I know a couple of the products I use, I have uh, emails for. They actually, they did an upgrade. So one of the cameras that I use, owned by Vimeo, 
they actually did their latest rendition of it. But my current configuration of camera that I use with my video podcast actually has a 10-hour battery life. And this particular device they've created is the camera and the battery rolled into one with four hours. And I, and I was sort of shaking my head thinking, that looks like a backward step to me. I couldn't see any benefit in... It was like they brought something to market just because they had to, in yeah. my opinion. Well, Samsung showed off some new some new wall-mounted micro-LED TVs. And um, they've now got sizes anywhere from 88, 93, 110, even up to 150-inch TVs. Okay. Um, is that getting too That's big? That's big. <laughs> That's pretty big. And, Where are we putting something that size? And uh, And everyone was showing off 8K TVs when no one's even really watching that much 4K content. Yeah, or producing it, I imagine. And, and in all honesty, from a size point of view, as impractical and, and probably you know, more expensive than ever, some of these TVs were. They were quoting prices of up to $60,000 US. Yeah, but that comes back to our podcast a couple of episodes ago where we are talking about the $52,000 Mac. Yeah. Are you buying it for bragging rights or are you buying it because you actually need something like that so I, I it makes you question who would need that less let alone want it i don't know about you every time i sort of walk through a electronics retailer have a look at these screens and like i was at costco the other day and they had 75 inch sony screens in there and they don't look that big when when the roof is you know 20 20 meters above your head, but put it in your uh, living room, and you know how big it is. Hmm. Uh, it's. I think it's getting a little bit silly in terms of because because there are optimal distances that you can actually sit from a screen without having to look around. So sort of take all the information in and get a sore neck, and uh, and it's certainly starting to push the limits of that. Hmm. It's um, interesting. You they they recommend like. Screens, they recommend you seat at a certain distance. So the bigger, for that reason, if you're moving your head around, that's actually a problem. You're not at the right distance. So when you look at perspective, when you sit back at the distance where you're able to see the whole screen, maybe just buying a smaller screen and sitting a little closer might be a solution. Well, I think it's always really about about what you get used to. And mm. I think CES, from one point of view, can is kind of more a demonstration demonstration of, of what companies can do not necessarily what they should do um, whenever I think about that I always think back to Star Wars episode one just because George Lucas could put Jar Jar Binks in there doesn't mean he should have yeah um, you know like uh, you know they're making LG and now making TVs that roll up out of a base it's a great demonstration of, of flexible OLEDs um, and once again, that's one of the ones that cost about $60,000, you know. Is it worth paying the extra $58,000 for a television to have it roll up out of a base? Maybe if you've got $58,000 to spare and, and mm. you know, you're, you know, you're a billionaire or something like that. But, but it's, it's, not, it's kind of more a demonstration of what they can do and it's not really tech for everybody, I don't think. Yeah, so what other things it gave you a little bit of excitement I, I, <laughs> I am <laughs> probably wrong use of words uh, there, but you're so, the geek guy. So. so, getting back to Star Wars, Samsung have been have been channeling Star Wars, and they created. They were looking. They were they were 
they were kind of demonstrating this as their foray into robotics and they created a product and I don't know why they call it this. Um, it's called the Samsung Ballie. Mm. So this is, I think you, you've, this is the ball for pets, yeah? Well. Or it could be for any, it's a, yeah, explain it. Sorry. Yeah, so, so it's a ball. Yes. Um, that you can remotely drive around the house, but it also has AI built into it. So it can drive itself around the house. It can uh, spy on what you're doing and kind of make voice comments and you could be sitting there and all of a sudden a picture of the back of your head could show up on the television and in the uh, in the trailer for it, you know, the person kind of smiled and laughed and turned around and said, oh, there you are, bully. I think I'd probably get creeped out and throw something at it. Um, but I don't know, like, I think what I really took away from it, other than the fact that some people might think that it's cool to remote control this thing and keep tabs on their pet while they're away at work, uh, given the recent spate of news stories about people hacking Wi-Fi connected cameras, I just saw it and I thought to myself, great, there's a there's a hackable camera that someone can drive around my house and get a good look at everything at. Mm. And, and, I, and I should add that the devices themselves aren't inherently unsecure. It's the people that kind of screw that up. So, you know, everyone, I don't care who you are or how secure, you know, you, you say your passwords are, everyone recycles passwords. Yeah. Just because, you know, you know, Sorry, not everyone. Okay, maybe half a percent of people don't don't recycle passwords. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. So, even though you may think you've you've been careful, it was that that password that you'd forgotten you'd even used on a on a service. And I mean, how many different companies have had security breaches where they've lost you know databases full of people's information and passwords just in the last few years alone? If people recycle those passwords, then you know it's a that's that's how people get hacked, right? People mm. will just look up, and they'll they'll try people's email addresses against different services on the internet, see if they've got an account, and they'll try that password. And before you know it, you've got a roaming camera that's hacked driving around your house where people can get a proper look at mm. at everything. Fortunately, it doesn't have any controllable arms on it, so it can't unlock the doors to let people in. Yeah, but. Still, it's one of these ones, it was like last week, our episode, we sort of previewed CES and talked about the S-Pod and was it just a gimmick and who would use it? Oh, look, I and think I think a lot of the stuff there is gimmicky. Like, hmm. you know, I, I'm going to stop short of, of saying that that um, that the Baldy is the tech fail of the week because it isn't actually really out there yet and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, so interestingly on cameras, uh, one of the things that... Are you familiar with Google Dorks, the term? Um, we're not talking about about um, sort of 20-year-old males who, <laughs> who don't have much social life and spend all their time in computers? We, we could be. So one of the things that some people might not be aware of is is through just Google search, there are some... There is a degree of coding that you can utilize, not to tell them to go and do this, but Google Dorks is uh, a series of different types of commands that you can use on Google that'll actually allow you to search. And it's used by wide hackers normally. So 
you have different type of hackers. So white hackers are meant to be ethically sound or good hackers. So they they use what companies employ these hackers to test do. security. Yeah, so penetration testing. That's <laughs> a word that could probably be used in other industries, but um, they they were doing lots of sex tech at CES as well. Yes, we won't go into the sex tech. I thought I think we'll draw the line there. We'll show just, some ethics just because I had a look at some of the pictures and it's making me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So so yes, if you do want to look at sex tech, CES do have their a very big section on sex tech of all well, things. Let's get back to Google Docs. Oh no, I was thought we were going to go down that road. But um, yeah. So Google Docs actually has a search command where you can search for cameras that aren't secure on the internet. Okay. And it's just using a search command and it'll show a whole heap of results. And if you actually click on those results, just through your browser, you can actually watch um, and control, depending on the brand of camera, if they've left it unsecure without a password, you can actually just through your web browser watch and control the camera. So you've tried it? Yeah. <laughs> so because you, because so, it was so there to be tried. It, so when you tried it, are you just trying it on like company domains or... It's... it's it's literally, you're, it's really, unless you really know what you're looking at, because they're just IP, they're just IP cameras. Yeah. So um, some some will show, you can choose multi-screen. So you can, it may might have more than one camera in their network, and you can actually view multiple cameras, um, and you can control those cameras. Now, I don't know whether it's legal or not, but it's on Google, hey? <laughs> I think, <laughs> so, like, like with like, anything, um, you know, Guns illegal. It's how you use them that could be construed as being illegal. See, so some of these now you put me in an ethical dilemma because some of these cameras um, are actually of property, so yes. people's houses, and others are of businesses or streets. So it could be like the weather. There could be weather cameras. I know there was one that was at a railway line, so it was just looking down the tracks at a railway line. Um, what I find intriguing is you have the ability with some of these cameras is to control them. So you can point the camera at whatever you more or less want. You literally have the controls, the zoom in, zoom out, left, right, up, down. Not all cameras, but some of them. But I'm just pointing out, I guess, that if you're going to have a camera on a network, and, you, and, and I'm talking about having very little knowledge about hacking here. I'm 100% honest on that. But if I can go to Google and I can find out the correct command to put in, or not command, but search to put in to find an open camera, then that means the average person could actually do that. And if you're not securing your cameras, there's a potential you're leaving yourself vulnerable to being spied on like people like me. <laughs> I'll take it a step further. To anyone out there that's thinking about buying a internet-connected camera, if you... If you're looking at that product and you don't have the slightest idea of how to secure it, or you're not willing to take the time to figure that out, don't buy the camera. So I was working for a customer the other day, and this is a bit of a hearsay, I suppose, but... I thought it was a good story nonetheless, so I thought I'd share it with you about fuel and criminals in Western Australia, mate. Fueling criminals or fuel and criminals? Fuel and criminals in Western Australia, mate. So by fuel, we're talking about fuel for cars, petrol stations? Yeah, absolutely. So so the story goes, this individual's 
son-in-law is in law enforcement in Western Australia. Okay. And what they're managing to do is reduce um, the number of stolen cars over there and also catch a lot of car thieves. So they're almost basically uh, reducing the, the crime rate in, in that area, the aspect of you know stolen vehicles. Yep. And the way they're doing it is through tech. So what's actually happening in the system that uh, one of the large service stations over there has put into place, Puma, so, so they're quite a large brand in Western Australia. And they've put in a camera system that actually, when a stolen car pulls up, it's, the camera system's used for fuel uh, theft as well as um, stolen vehicles now. So what's happening is as a stolen car pulls up, the number plate is identified and the details are run through a system and if the, the car is stolen or the number plate and the car vehicle don't match, a signal is actually sent out to the police station, which is then forwarded to the nearest police vehicle to say that the stolen vehicle is actually at the service station at that point in time. And, uh, and they're actually finding that they're catching a number of criminals in the act of driving those stolen vehicles by catching them as they fill up. So I imagine primarily this tech was designed um, to interlink law enforcement and the petrol stations so they had information on cars that had that had done the dash and tried to leave without paying for their fuel. Mm. And and as a secondary, it's now looking at the database for known stolen vehicles and yeah. uh, and notifying them, you know, like you said, while they're still actually parked there. Yeah, so so yeah, so what they've actually done is is managed to reduce the or, or take a number of stolen vehicles off the road. Um, or give them back to their owners. So um, just an example of where, you know, tech is helping law enforcement and the criminals, some of them still haven't worked out exactly how they're getting caught, I suppose, but that's because some criminals aren't the brightest people. Yeah, I, I suppose that the sort of people, you know, stealing cars and stealing fuel and just happily driving them, continuing to drive them around aren't necessarily thinking the crime through all that well, so... No. If, if, it, if it works to catch those sorts of people, it's all good. It makes sense that uh, you would actually have that system set up at a petrol station too because most cars that I know need to fuel up at some point. Well, I, I actually like that use of, of this sort of technology for, for picking up criminals. I actually heard last week that uh, they've been running cameras with face, de face detection over in, in the States in a few cities have actually um, banned its use because it was coming up with far too many false positives and and it wasn't really sort of finding the right people. Mm. I guess the advantage of the number plates is they certainly know and have nailed the technology of reading a number plate because if they didn't, then they wouldn't be making all the money off the tolls. So <laughs> where we could go through tolls because that same technology is, is what's being used to identify vehicles to determine um, who owes what when they go through tolls these days. Yeah, well, I mean, we know they've just launched the technology to actually, you know, look down through windscreens and actually get, catch people using mobile phones while they're driving as well. Well, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah no, um, I believe, um, I'm not sure where it is, I think they're doing it in New South Wales, they're trialling it in Queensland, and there is a bit of a, a grace period where, where you can get caught doing it and you won't be fined yet because they're really just uh, testing the technology getting it tuned and getting it right but 
but very soon people are going to start getting getting pictures in the post of them using phones while they're driving and, and get automatic phones. Oh, well, that's an example again of how these cameras are holding us all to account, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, absolutely not. You know, there's not really an excuse for using a phone phone while you're driving. There's, you know, for people who, who need to make phone calls and whatnot, you know, most cars have have audio systems where you can put your, put your devices through the stereos if you absolutely have to talk. Um, you know, they've made a, you know, made a very public and very clear exactly what is unacceptable in terms of devices and and in all honesty it only takes a take us takes a second to to lose concentration and, and that's how a lot of accidents happen and people get killed so so anything that makes the roads safer um, I'm all for it what's all that about so last week we spoke a little bit about the ethics around tech when we were discussing the AI uh, isn't allowed to paint in its own creation. Um, the EU found out about that and it sort of raised the issue around actually ethics. And we talked about things like um, genetically modified foods and also we discussed cloning and things like that, that whenever there's new technologies that we don't understand, we try and preempt some of these things. And uh, you found a good example of where GM-modified foods are actually helping and, and why, you know, sometimes it pays to back some of this tech. Yeah, mate. Um, there's actually a, a rice that's been developed, a strain of rice called golden rice. Um, it's been under development for quite some time. Like, you know, there were versions of it all the way back back to 2005 but just this week it's actually um a newer strain of it has actually been um has been approved um in the philippines for general general consumption um the reason it's it's really taking hold over there is this rice has been genetically engineered um with um vitamin a beta carotene Mm -hmm. and uh the whole reason for this is um, they have a huge problem over there with um, childhood blindness due to vitamin A deficiency. So actually engineering this strain of rice looks to, to help with that epidemic and, and stop all this preventable um, childhood blindness. So. Mm-hmm. so that's a good example of where technology, food tech, is actually helping um, good outcomes. And you asked me... Have I tried any of this plant-based meat? Yeah, and I said no, I haven't yet. But you actually uh, had your wife and daughter guinea pig uh, a burger at a local burger place, and uh, what was there? You didn't you didn't um, go with the the non beef variety of patty, but what, what did that? What was their decision on it? Well, I figured I'd be the control in the test, right? Yeah. So. Um, on any given day, I wanted to make sure that sure that the, the burgers were were better on that day at Hungry Jack's. Yeah. So um, you know, I just went the, the standard standard old bacon deluxe, but um, they actually got the Rebel Whopper. So the Rebel Whopper is is made from plants. Um, it's actually made to taste. Um, it's got like a smoky barbecue flavour, and uh, 
yeah, the, the missus tasted it and thought it, it tasted like meat. Um, my daughter tasted it. Um, she said that that she thought it, um, it tasted like plant. Um, okay. Having said that, she's a teenager and she knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the fact is um, vegetables are normally the enemy and she ate all of this, so I'm not entirely sure that that um, that she could... She probably knew it tasted different, but maybe she didn't really think it tasted like vegetables because it probably would have been left untouched. It'll be interesting to see how the vegetable-based you know, alternative to beef actually does play out and take off. And there's a lot of people who, you know, straight up you see on the internet when they make these decisions to bring these products out, there's always critics saying that it takes as much energy and effort to produce a, a vegetable patty than it may to produce a cow. I don't think that's the case. And that's, I've actually read articles that indicate, but this is the point with the internet. Yeah. That Fake we don't know. Right. Absolutely. So this is an industry, it could be, that could be the beef industry actually barking, you know, and, and putting something out there that's actually false. So that that's the, the point being is they, they did the same with ethanol. Yeah. And they have also done the same with other, um, with they did the same with uh, corn syrup and, and corn as a replacement for sugar. Yeah. Well, I haven't actually just, tried those burgers i've actually tried um what's this other one called chicken free chicken it's actually from a, a company called um sunfed they're a, they're a new zealand startup okay. and um you can actually buy that buy that i was going to say meat but it's not <laughs> my, meat my thought straight away is chicken free chicken it's beef <laughs> yeah no. so it's 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 actually made from pea from peas from yellow peas and uh there's some things you kind of can't use it like. So I tried making a, a bit of an Indian curry and and you you simmer it in the sauce for a, for an amount of time, it'll just fall apart, right? Yeah. But um, as a substitute for chicken in, say, a stir-fry, it's actually quite good. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd actually say that, that you could be filled into thinking that you were eating chicken. Yeah. So interestingly, I had a vegetable burger over a year ago at a cafe that was for vegans yeah uh, and I it didn't offer there was no meat choices there obviously so I saw the burger and I said okay I'll try that um, it it I'm not sure what it contained but I know it had a lot of curry in it but it actually was one of as far as a burger went it was one of the best burgers I'd ever actually eaten and tasted because oh, really? it was because it because it didn't taste greasy and it didn't just the flavor that was in it um, it's not that I knew I wasn't eating meat, but at the same time, it was a burger, and I didn't care. It had taste and it had a good palate. Well, one of the um, one of the first companies to come up with um, plant based beef was called um, Impossible Foods, mm-hmm. and um, they've actually just released at CES um, a new uh, pig free pork, so something that tastes like like pork as well. Mm, so soon we won't need animals, mate. I don't think that's quite how it works. But well, well, I guess they'll just they can just be our friends rather than our food source, right? That's it. So Craig, do you um do you have any Bluetooth headphones? 
I don't, but from our conversation last week on Cheap Tech, I know you do. Yeah, I got a got a few, and and uh, having read this next article, I think I would have been pretty pissed off if I'd gone and spent two or three hundred dollars on a set of um, Apple um, earpods. Mm-hmm. But 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 knowing what you know about us, if you've been listening, you probably know that that's that's probably not a, a thing that was going to happen anyway. Um, so how 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 would you be disappointed to have a pair of three hundred dollar uh, earpods, mate? Well, I mean, over the over the years, you know, Bluetooth had a had a bit of a a tough sort of a childhood. It's been it's never been been the friendliest tech and people have struggled with getting devices working properly and whatnot but they've just released a new standard um it's actually called um bluetooth le audio and it's it's designed to to give the same sort of sound quality with a much much um smaller amount of data and it brings a whole heap of extra features to the um table as well Mm. so so you alluded to the fact that your ear pods might have been a waste of Money, not because of their price, but because of pota- uh, potential incompatibility, I guess, with the new standard? Yeah, exactly. So as with, with many things like this, if you want all the new stuff, you've got to go out and buy new stuff. So the technology itself isn't backwardly compatible with um, older hardware. So when it does come out, um, it won't work with any of your older devices or your really expensive devices you just bought. But, but basically, it's all about um, low energy usage and also adding functionality like being able to stream to multiple devices at once. So, so more or less, you could have multiple sets of headphones and share those with your friends? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the, at the moment, they do, um, even though you can share to essentially you know, multiple earbuds that aren't connected at the same amount of time, uh, your device is connecting to one of them, and it's connecting to the other one. Mm-hmm. So it's not the de- it's not your phone connecting to both of them individually. Um, and and this um, technology update is is more or less kind of addressing that ability to be able to stream to multiple devices at the mm-hmm. same time. So it's going to be great for for things like having uh, a sound system in your house with multiple speakers positioned different places, so you can. You know, run that connection to multiple devices, and yeah, certainly sharing music through multiple pairs of headphones at the same time and doing listening parties with your friends. Yeah, watching a, a screen like you might have two kids watching a screen, and and you in the back of the car, and you don't want to be hearing what they're watching, so you can throw into you know compatible type wireless head uh, ear, earphones. Yeah, I have them watch. I think the thing to to kind of realise that. That even though it's just been announced, it is still going to be some time um, before it's actually released. So mm. the timeline on this technology is is really looking at because it's really just a standard that's that's yeah. come out. So um, let's explain that a little bit. The, the difference between like so so this is an this is a group. So the group that actually announced this standard have basically lab tested. It's more or less software or or coding that will allow for this to occur but the physical um, devices that are required uh, for it to function aren't necessarily in the marketplace yet but it's called a standard because they expect that people will adopt the new standard as a means by which they can 
broadcasting's over Bluetooth, yeah? Yeah, so um, all these devices have specific Bluetooth chips in them, and it's really probably going to be over the next 18 months that these chips are, are designed. So the timeline for for this new technology to come out is going to be um, the next year and a half to two years. So um, if you're if you expect your your headphones to last any longer than that and be able to do this this new technology, um, you know, you're you're out of luck. But but given that that we buy, you know, some of us buy tech tech for a reasonable price um, these days. You're probably safe buying stuff now. Just be aware that that this um, this new technology that that's both um, going to to run at a lower energy level, so the batteries will last a lot longer, and bring this extra functionality will be coming within the next two years. Mm. And I think that's advisable if you're looking to buy a product and you're prepared to hold off for a little while. So maybe not this year, but if you know this is coming and you keep an eye on that Bluetooth space and see what's out there ahead of purchasing an item, you, you might find that you know you become an early adopter of a new technology but that said most early adopters are also guinea pigs and i think that's where bluetooth initially in the early days had some issues is there was a lot of people um with the hiccups using bluetooth yeah and i guess the other thing with early adoption is the first generation of new products that come out are usually super expensive and can also be a bit buggy so mm. i know whenever new stuff comes out i usually kind of wait for all the screams of anguish on the internet to and um you know listen to all the people who who rushed in and bought it because they had to have the first of everything mm. and um, you're like me i think is i think real there are tech guys who have to have the latest gadget because they want to test everything but i'm one of these guys that sit back and let everyone else do the I mean, I test stuff, but do the testing and just see where things play out. I think that that's, um, if you're wanting to save money, that's not a bad approach. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a, it's good now that there are so many different people doing tech reviews on YouTube. So if you do actually want to know whether there's any early on issues with something, say, for example, with a Samsung Galaxy Fold, mm-hmm. um, you know, a foldable phone that, that seemed like a great idea, but, yeah. but, but, you know, could turn into that ultimate tech fail. Um, yeah, I guess you can, you know, get some some relatively well-trusted opinions on the internet as to whether it's going to be good or it's going to be a fail or whether it's just um, a gimmick or, or affordable or too expensive for the average person. Mm. We don't really have a fail of the week this week, but you read a report somewhere that... Uh, some Android phones, some government phones, uh, were shipped with malware. Is did yeah, I understand that correctly? Yeah, that's not the Australian government. It's just um, which government was it? A government? Um, yeah, no, the US, US, US government have been um, supplying a, a particular um, Android phone that has unremovable um, malware baked into the um, the software on the phone. Intentional? Does it read like it's I intentional? Don't, I don't think it's ever intentional. I think it's just. It's one of those things where where people don't do enough testing and, and I suppose tech gets a little bit ahead of the curve and, and people don't properly vet things before mm. they put them into use. Interestingly, sabotage in business can also occur years and years ago. I'm going back probably in the short of the last decade. You might recall that there was code found or, or deleted code found on iPhone 
some iPhone devices and some Macs, and they believe that, or the argument was that it was inadvertently uh, deleted, meaning accidentally. Yeah. But it seemed odd because the code actually uh, prevented uh, your security when you were on banking websites. Well, okay. Here's a here's an interesting question for you. We're talking about malware on on Android phones, right? Hmm. Um, so, in a business environment, when you're using computers, generally speaking, the IT department controls all of the updates that hit all of the devices in that environment. So, they can properly vet and test everything before they roll out. But if you've got an iPhone, and those guys have sent out an untold amount of of um, version updates in the last couple of months, and they've all been you know, they've rushed to bring new features to market for their users and then have basically been putting out rolling updates to try and fix those problems. And some of those problems have, have caused huge functionality issues, you know, broken email, all these sorts of things. Um, some of those problems are as bad as malware. Mm. And, and, uh, and in that instance, when you've got a company that's actually controlling the update cycle on those devices... I think in some instances those sorts of problems can 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 compromise businesses just as badly as as some of the intentionally bad malware. Yeah, absolutely. And and case in point with a lot of updates and you've discussed the issues around iOS updates and Windows ten um, with you know different versions and 1803 or 1806, I think, was having some issues, and they're saying 19 build 1909 now, yep. having it having some issues. Uh, I think that sometimes, yeah, you can think that these things, when they roll out certain updates or, or new features, that if they're not functioning properly, they can have a similar impact, or there might be vulnerabilities. Uh, interestingly, a computer company several years ago, and I, it fails me the name, so I won't even try and guess it because I get it wrong and get sued but a company actually one of the majors um, on a number of their computers accidentally uh, in in their product uh, actually had a adware that they then had to later on send out information for customers who purchased the machine on how to remove it <laughs> so there you go so that ends another episode of the Tech Matters podcast, mate. Yeah, it's been fun. Are you enjoying it? I'm enjoying it. We're seven episodes in, and uh, I, I think we've covered a lot of topics and looking forward to cover some more. But uh, people need to know where to find us. Or We haven't had anyone send us any emails uh, other than you and me back and forth. <laughs> I think we're just kind of screaming into the void at the moment. But I, um... I think so too, but if someone somewhere is listening and wants to ask a question, how do they get hold of us? So you can either fill in the contact form on our website, which is techmatterspodcast.com. Uh, you can get us on social media. Primarily, we're using Instagram. So the Instagram handle is techmatterspodcast. Um, we check that quite regularly. And if you want to just email us direct, you can email us at techmatterspodcast at gmail.com. I believe, Craig, you're also on Twitter. Have you got a, a Twitter address that you'd like people to get in touch with you at? 
Oh, they can check out the people with a passion uh, underscore official. I think it's PWAP official, actually. PWAP, P-W-A-P underscore official at Twitter. And they can always DM me on that. If you want to get me on Twitter, you can get me at GregOven7, at GregOven7. Awesome. Enjoy your week, people. See you later. Thank you for listening to Tech Matters, the podcast that decodes technology for everyone. 